It's Saturday, July 29th, and this is episode 33 of The Mike Newman Show, where once again, Dr. Tim and I meet up at our favorite North Austin eatery for a little conversation, uh, talk about a topic. We actually thought of one this week, and um, you get a chance to listen along. Hope you enjoy it, and uh, hey, think about sending us an email at mike at mikenewman.show. Give you a little more information at the end of the show on how all that goes and uh, value for value. This is how we run this podcast. So uh, sit back, relax, uh, finish your plate of migas, your cup of coffee, and enjoy the conversation. See you in a bit. What do the kids say these days? It's authentic. Oh, okay. I... I'm just going to go with artisanal, that this is a artisanal podcast experience. Okay. We just, we just bring it all, bring, exactly yes. as it is. And <laughs> such as it is. Such as it is. So, yeah. Hey, Tim. How you doing? I, I guess I'm fine. It's great. That's good. It's, I'm here. I'm kind of upright. Yeah. Moderately cognizant of what's going on around me, so. Well, hey, we're, we're operating at... Situation normal. Indeed. So we had an idea. Sorry, fire away. Well, you had an idea, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you expound on it just a little bit before I I launch off. Before you tear it apart. Well, (laughs) your suggestion of that we talk about abstract thought. Uh huh. Literally launched me down the, the 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 dinosaur equivalent of the bunny trail. I knew it would. Yes, uh, I knew it would. You, I said, that's like fresh meat. I thought you probably you may have actually had something in mind, so I thought I'd give you a chance to uh, at least expound on that just a bit. Yeah, um, abstract thought. So, I, I I think it's an undervalued. Well. I think it's essential that thoughts get abstracted beyond just mere um, utilitarianism. I, I see two sides of a of a scale, where if we just make every decision based on what the, someone thinks works for now, and just looking at something in a very narrow scope, without abstracting that. To a higher level, but not getting all the way out to abstraction where it's meaningless. I think uh, a, a danger of abstracting thought too far is that you have no basis for taking action or accountability, even if it's in a process. I'm, I'm not even, I am totally avoiding politics at this point. I'm just talking about the concept of abstract thought, abstract concepts as tools that can then be used in a utilitarian, but not as a pejorative use of that word, but to get things done so that things make more sense. Mm-hmm. That's where I was coming from. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that, 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 that fits, uh, interestingly enough, with, with, with my thoughts on it. Uh, as always, I, I would probably tend to go back a little bit further uh, in, as, as a beginning point but uh, I would observe uh, in, in starting off that, that abstract thought being kind of thinking about thinking, if you will, that the, the first observation I would make that, that I've, I've a conclusion that I think is obvious that, uh, that I've come to from based on reading and, and, and what people far uh, smarter than me have, have said about, about the subject is that one has to make a realization that human beings are essentially metaphor machines. Mm-hmm. We, we not only think according to metaphors, but our bodies act according to metaphors down to the most basic level. Uh, an interesting uh, uh, example is the dilation of the pupils in the eye. Okay. Uh, you, 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 your eyes go from a darkened room out into the sunlight. Mm-hmm. The pupils dilate or contract. contract. Yeah. 
setting setting down the, 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 the light. That's all done by metaphor. The brain has stored within it a metaphor that controls the eye, and it does so autonomically. You don't think about it. It's the way it works. So what's the difference, say, in that instead of a, some may say, well, that's a biological reaction, that light entering the eye and the brain has set some sort of limit or a concept of, wow, that's really uncomfortable. Or the brain says, I can't, that, that input sensor is overloaded. You know, we'd see it on a camera, for example. You just see the whiteout, right? Well, that's the kind of experience you get when you walk out of a movie theater. Right. You, you, you're, so how do you go um, from a metaphor to a biological process? Uh, the, 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 the distinction is, uh, there is no distinction. The biological process is a metaphor. Okay. It, and, and interestingly enough, it's it's been it's been demonstrated by by a uh, uh, a group in Italy, as a matter of fact, that we function by metaphors literally all the way down to the neuron level or a small collection of neurons. And the uh, the group in Italy that uh, that. that Identified this this process or this facility, termed it mirror neurons. Mirror, like I'm looking in a mirror. Right, okay. and and they, they, the the discovery that they, they made they 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 wired up the brain of a monkey. Okay, as you do, as you do, and uh, they were trying to understand the uh, reaction. Uh, of, of the brain, the, mm-hmm. and so using the monkey brain, the reaction to external stimuli, and so they were curious at the reaction of sensory stimuli that resulted in a feeling of pleasure. So, okay. eating ice cream, as an example. Mm-hmm. And so they they were making measurements of uh, of the uh, of the monkey's brain, and they, they were able to to essentially see uh, the results of stimulation, uh, sensory stimulation of the brain. And so they they identified uh, a specific reaction within the brain to the monkey being fed ice cream. Okay, it, it, he enjoyed it, the mm-hmm. ice cream, and so it. Think of it that a bell rang. Mm-hmm. He had ice cream. Ding, 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 ding. ding. That bell went off. Other bells exist, but that bell went off, and well, we're assuming that, that so he enjoyed they, the ice cream. Absolutely. So they came to, they, they, they were rather interestingly enough discovered by accident when <clears throat> one of the researchers walked into the experimental room while the monkey was wired up. Mm-hmm. Eating an ice cream cone, ah. and the monkey brain went ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and the point being that the, the 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 monkey's brain was conditioned to respond. It, it it essentially had established a metaphor for the for 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 the eating of ice cream and the pleasure that resulted therefrom. And it turned out that it didn't take just stimulus to the monkey's brain actually mm-hmm. tasting ice cream the monkey could have that metaphor stimulated by watching somebody else eating an ice cream cone and so they they, they expanded out from that i would imagine because you could then say well maybe the monkey was just desiring the ice cream and well, that in the midst of eating the ice cream a desire was triggered at the same time for more you know blah 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 well you're but, but what you're what what i, I think in, i'm making a play, mess here in playing well no 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 <laughs> in playing the devil's advocate a, a, a little bit yeah you're trying to uh, i think make the, the the assumption that that working by metaphors is something different than or, or that there's a different way of thinking about it okay okay and 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 the the 
it, it was pointed out to me by by uh, a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I made the observation that that uh, about a Star Trek episode in which uh, uh, I, I made the assertion that well, aliens put down Captain Picard on a planet with a, a an alien captain and oh yeah they 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 were having to build shared experiences in order to communicate right. And I made the observation to our mutual friend that, that they were they were communicating through metaphors. And mm-hmm. he responded to me that all communication is through metaphor. Language is metaphor. It just it, it it's just a recursion all the way down to the to, 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 to the most basic levels. Okay. But forever and, and the point is that that what do we mean by a metaphor? A metaphor is essentially a model. Okay. Okay, and and it's a model into which you can plug uh, 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 new values and get new results through the same process. It's essentially biological, if if you will, or, or philosophical is probably a better term. Mm-hmm. It's philosophical algebra. Okay. If you think about mathematics, we we, we, we learn arithmetic. Two plus two equals four. We get to algebra and we say A plus B equals C because now I can plug in yeah. an arbitrary value to A and B. 2X so, minus 3Y equals Z. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so I, I, I can start to ascribe uh, uh, characteristics, if you will, to the relationship of numbers. And, and this is all, mm-hmm. this is what we call algebra. Right. right? And, and, we we all like to think, or a lot of people like to think that that you, you learn arithmetic, you learn to add, subtract, and multiply and divide, and 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 then then we get to algebra, and nobody needs algebra in their everyday lives, right? But but in point of fact, it's the way we, it's the way we think, hmm. and so we 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 learn, uh, uh, if you will, metaphors, and and if you think about learning, mm-hmm. it's difficult when we're learning a new metaphor once we've once we've identified and characterized a metaphor it becomes much simpler to plug new things into that plug new values into it so if i throw out another word when when you said metaphor in that context of when we're learning when we learn a new metaphor or somebody tries to get us to think differently Sometimes that's paraphrased these days as a paradigm shift. I, I, I'm just going with what no, no, what no. folks say. I'm, I'm hoping you can help me clarify the difference between well, what, what those words really mean. What you have to do is you, you go read a book. It's Tom, <laughs> Tom, Thomas Kuhn, K-U-H-N, Thomas Kuhn's book uh-huh. uh, on the structure of scientific revolutions. It's... The place where the term paradigm actually came into its own. Okay. But he spends an entire book, and it's still a little bit confusing to me, okay, about precisely what is meant. But essentially, think of it in, in terms of the most basic to the more most abstract. Okay. You, you, you start out noting what he calls exemplars. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. these are these are situations. Think of it as a real life situation, right? Uh, I sat down at the table. I ordered breakfast. I ate it. Da da. Uh, if you think about exemplars in a more abstract fashion, you will come up with a metaphor. Okay, so an mm-hmm. exemplar is kind of a specific instance. Uh, that you can use to develop a metaphor. Turn it around, an exemplar becomes a specific instance of a metaphor. Mm-hmm. If you so so in our in our behaviors, we try to identify root metaphors. What what, what are the what are the most basic metaphors uh, uh, in, in any given situation, or, or what are the metaphors that Define a situation, characterize a situation. Something that would be considered ground truth or something that is 
singular enough, elemental enough that for the purpose of the activity we're going through, it doesn't serve any purpose to break it down any further. Right. Water is H2O. Okay. Yeah. What do we do with water? And then we build something we up build above something that. Up that. Uh, although the, the, the particle physicists will say, well, okay, water, H2O, what, what is a neutron? What is, yeah, what is yeah. an electron? But right? I said, and, we're not talking about that. Well, and, 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 but it's an interesting, it, a, a characterization of it is when I, when I started thinking about this, and I, 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 I've, I've, I've got some rather extensive writings pages. about yeah. this, yeah. I actually started identifying a point making a definition of a point what is it what is a point mm-hmm. and in the physical realm a point in my definition a point is an intersection between the philosophical realm and the physical realm because a point cannot exist or you cannot characterize if I can get the right word characterize a point within the physical domain it's a singularity. Mm-hmm. You can you can never get there. It's like an asymptote. <clears throat> it is. You can approach it. It's a limit. But you can't get there. Right. And so, at a point, uh, I, I, I can't write, as I say, the point is the point of is, is an intersection between the philosophical realm and the physical realm. And this is where engineering would never get started if we couldn't, at the top of the page, define our assumptions. Yes. So, and we say. The point, blah, 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 and we give an X, Y, Z coordinate in, in a space, right. in, a, in a, coordinate, a coordinate frame, or I forget what it was. But basically, every engineering problem I was ever trained to solve started out with assumptions. And you would lose far fewer points if you made mistakes in your math and your, your working out of the solution if you screwed up an assumption. But if you made an assumption and didn't state it, you got slaughtered. Right. It was like you had no basis for going down this. So anyway, that's the difference between physicists <laughs> who are borderline mathematical philosophers yes. and engineers who, I got to get something built. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, not to say the physicist or the, the philosopher doesn't take pleasure or enjoy I mean, it's the difference between theoretical and um, uh, what theoretical experimental physicists. Right. You know, you need them both. Right. I mean, the the Higgs boson. Both of those disciplines were required, and they were both equally ecstatic when they made the discovery. Yeah, actually made a measurement. That, yeah, that, made that a measurement. Yeah, to try to quantify it because the theory said it was there. Excuse me. Anyway, so just there are all these different approaches. So in order to develop higher level metaphors, at some point you have to agree on a baseline metaphor and just say, okay, that's truth. And then you can mumble down in the in the margins. Well, not really. See, <laughs> yeah. Well, all of it, this work. It, it, yeah. And if, if you think about it, if you think about it recursively, what mm-hmm. what, what you're talking about is is making definitions of words for example mm-hmm. a, a word is essentially a metaphor okay and and, and it, it, when, when we talk about a word has this meaning we're, we're saying it is this word is a metaphor or the, these other words right and so w- what we always seek to do seek to do is come down to the most basic definitions you and I worked on international standards. One element of an international standards document is always the uh, what is it we call it the, the terminology def- or the, the definition of uh, words and phrases right. that you, you can yeah. use, and and so what you're what you're doing there is defining the language, if you will. You're defining the mm-hmm. root, the root metaphors uh, for the rest of the standard. You're going to develop the standard in terms of of those words, those definitions. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, 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 it needs to hold together in, in, in that phase. So, so if you change the definition of the basic words, of the root metaphors, then you, you impact the entire, entire standard. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, and so 
it, you're, we're always in this this recursion of getting down to to a, 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 an approach that that uh, I always thought was really interesting that that our particular group adopted in developing international standards was to say well a good definition you you, you seek to, to define a word with a, 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 a other phrase or a collection of words and if you define it appropriately you ought to be able to replace the word in a, a sentence with the collection of words right and that was always i always thought an extremely good test to see if if we've done it right and if we've got down to a basic enough level right if your if your definition has four parts and it is a three paragraphs long that makes it a little hard to just substitute that into a sentence sure. and have it make sense and so what that probably means is that you haven't gone basic enough you haven't really gotten to the mm-hmm. to the the definition of the, the basic words or the root metaphors that that you need so in a way it's almost um you could get a contradictory feeling although perhaps inaccurate that as you let's say you had the definition of a term and it ended up being three lines long but everybody thought they knew what that word meant and then there's all those words there well in order to get the to put the knife in there and clarify that basically to highlight the assumptions that were made around that word you may come up with a different word or a a hyphenation of the word or something like that that you can then start to have the discussion of is this what you mean when you say this and that sounds a lot of times of just like trying to be argumentative but it then if you get that done correctly you, you you may not like the word or hyphenated word or term or whatever is on the left side of the of the colon in the in the table but at least everybody to some degree can say okay when when those characters show up in the text this is what we agree that it means and that's a very so you're you're abstracting in the sense that you now have a universal in an abstract agreed concept you have a metaphor for that word um and then you can start to use it other places right so it's very utilitarian it is because it it gives you what you need to continue your work with those higher level concepts that's the whole point the whole point of the standard is not to just have a bunch of words that have meaning in them the point of the standard is to show how people can use those in our favorite word or our objective was interoperability right anyway and if you've if you've done it well you 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 write the standard in terms of words that you define and and you make your definitions very succinct very specific and someone may say well i i didn't think of the word that way Mm -hmm. but given that definition then now i can apply that word or i can use that word within the standard and it becomes very clear what that means in, in my own it, 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 characterization we, we, you and i worked on uh, identification or identity systems and so a, a, a very early uh, concern i had was the term identity, the characterization uh, or, or the characteristic of identity, what, mm-hmm. what does it really mean? And uh, I came to think or to realize that it, it means as two rather distinct meanings. Uh, the first meaning says that identity is the characteristic that allows me to differentiate one entity within a collection or within a set of entities to differentiate one entities from all of the others. Mm-hmm. All right, and and indeed in 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 set algebra, uh, you very often have the what's called the identity operator. You apply the identity operator to a set, and it gives you one instance of the set. Mm-hmm. And you you apply it again, and it gives you the next insta- in, instance of the set. And so I, I, if I have a set of ostensibly identical things, uh, uh, cue balls, 
for example, white, sure. white yeah. billiard balls, you know, white billiard balls that uh, that uh, uh, I have a box full of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all white. They're all the same size, but somehow they're they're all different because they're unique entities within my box. And so somehow I can differentiate. I have to be able to differentiate all of those, right? And 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 so in in establishing the identity of a cue ball, I have to figure out how 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 do I differentiate one cue ball from another? Right. They they weigh the same. They look the same. Da 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 da. da. But it can't occupy the same space at the same time. And and that's one of the ways that you can differentiate it. Yeah. One of the ways you can differentiate it is you now you now create a box with 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 cubby holes in it, mm-hmm. and I can take each cue ball and put it in a separate cubby hole, right? And I can identify a, a coordinate to the cubby hole, sure. And I can say, oh, I have cue ball A one or cue ball C seven, yeah. Right, and so I can differentiate the ball, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so so I I have to be able to tell them apart. But, but this is great car party conversation, Tim. Well, you know, well, I, mean, I, I know. I'm just, I just had to throw that in there. Well, and I, 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 and I find it interesting. We've discussed this, you know, for years, and I, th- I think we're arriving at how these metaphors help us build concepts higher above them. Absolutely. Well, think, think about it, and, and, and I'm thinking, I, I'm just making this example up with the cue ball as we go along. Sure. But. This cue ball was used to play pool over on that table between these two guys. This cue ball was used to play billiards over on this table by those other two guys. Uh-huh. Those two cue balls now have different, what I would call, exper- Mileage. experiences. Yeah. They have different experiences. Yeah, yeah. And if I can somehow attach the experience to the cue ball mm-hmm. that becomes a way that i can differentiate the cue balls right right oh okay this is this cue ball played billiard it was used in a was used in this game, game match yeah uh, this this cue ball was used in a pool game over here well think a little bit more complex in terms of people think mm-hmm. about about people so without knowing anything else about people we can tell them apart and indeed we've we've evolved if you will or developed a a set of characteristics that we can use to do this and we we would call those characteristics biometrics mm-hmm. there are characteristics of the body that are unique to an individual body now why are they unique well in, in some instances they're they're and, and really in the case of biometrics they're, they're in almost in, all instances they are unique based on the s- statistics of large numbers mm-hmm. so a fingerprint a fingerprint is created through a biological process uh, the skin the cells uh, uh, replicate uh, create skin for some reason, whatever reason, the the, the skin develops pearls and uh, ridges unique and patterns over unique the time. Patterns, yeah. right. Yep. And we we have literally through observation more than anything else observed right. that hmm, we collect lots and lots of fingerprints and we don't find any two that are identical matches if if we can measure them accurately. Sure. Enough. Yeah. We don't find any two that are, are identical matches. Well, why is that? You know, there, there's not some communication between the and cell that's its, its own science is to figure out the why. Yeah. But now we've observed this. Well, we've so, observed it, and and, yeah. and and without going any further, we simply say, well, the the, the 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 creation process itself is extremely complex, and there is a randomness to that, mm-hmm. and and as a consequence, because of that complexity and randomness it's very improbable that it will occur the same way twice sure and so we say that okay fingerprint right and, and fingerprint has now become what you would actually call a, a paradigm it, 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 oh yeah it, 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 we, we use we, we use irish 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 patterns are, are are fingerprints using the eyes you know? hashes of keys are called fingerprints right you know so we, we just have this concept of reducing an identity down to 
the measurement to some level of a physical fingerprint and then we apply that metaphor for all kinds of everything oh yeah that's got his fingerprints all over it you know we use it in terminology and and just casual conversation so without knowing without knowing anything else about a person we can differentiate one person from another uh through their biometrical biometric characteristics or their fingerprints Mm -hmm. if you will but a person now experiences life goes through life sure and has different experiences. They, they go, go to Sarah Elementary School, Whitehurst Elementary School. And mm-hmm. They have Mrs. Diltz as, a, as a, a grade school teacher, Mrs. Creel as a kindergarten teacher, da-da-da-da-da. Right. And if you can, if you can differentiate or, or characterize those experiences, then in the end, with enough experiences even though you've got you've got 30 kids that go to school with you mm-hmm. over the course of a lifetime the, the 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 order and the level of the specific experiences that they have will be enough different that if you can characterize all of those or a large number of those experiences you can identify a unique individual out mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. Well, uh, so so without well, even taking their fingerprint, without taking their yeah, fingerprint, yeah. Uh, so so I I started out which worried. is the mission of Facebook, but never mind. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, it, it, it's succeeded beyond all expectations, I'm sure. Right. Uh, but but the idea is that you start out with a single concept of identity. Right. Yeah. And 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 indeed, would today when we talk about identity politics. It becomes screwy because the people that want to use that term identity politics have not characterized it down to the correct level. That uh, they haven't they have identified that there are these two rather different domains of identity, mm-hmm. and I characterize those by, by applying making hyphenated words. Mm-hmm. Right. So so let's let's define let's don't don't just have identity. Let's have Differential identity as an hyphenated word and mm-hmm. experiential identity. Yeah. And separate those two concepts apart. So now when I talk about identity politics, am I talking about differential identity politics or experiential identity politics? Right. Experiential identity is a social, essentially a social characteristics. Uh uh, differential identity is a biological characteristic. It it really can't. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it has to change through biological processes. Experiential identity changes through social processes. Mm-hmm. So, if you, I, I characterize that a human is, experiences or is subject to a different set of forces. As, as they mm-hmm. go through life mm-hmm. at the most basic are the physical forces right okay? the nuclear force the strong force the weak force the electromagnetic force and gravity gravity is not actually a force but it's very predominant pre- prevalent yeah we, we 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 tend to spend a lot of time interacting with gravity yeah it, it, in the uh but but interestingly enough we're, gravity is interacting with us in that it's changing the space that we exist in. Dude, dude, we just hit another topic. Yeah, I know. So, Let's do that we'll, sometime. We'll, we'll, but, we'll, we'll but go through no, that. No, it, it, I, I, gravity's one of those things. Anyway. Anyway. The, so the point being that, the, the, yep. but going all the way back, what yeah. a human is subject to. So sure. physical forces. All right. You, you now move into biological realm mm-hmm. right and and so there there are if you will biological forces mm-hmm. at, at, at play I, I tend to to, to, to to lump those into a larger domain although I really shouldn't into what I call physiological forces mm-hmm. okay physiological forces are essentially the the the, the overlap of physical forces applied to biological entities and i characterize those then as physiological okay sure uh, yeah so, i mean so, so the point so the point being yeah uh, uh uh 
I rush out, I, I go out, and I, I grab the front bumper, well, of an old car, where bumpers were actually strong Attached enough. to the rest of the car. Yeah. I grab the bumper, and I lift up on it, right, as hard as I can. Uh-huh. The, the car doesn't move, right? No. So, uh, that, that's fine. Uh, a, a, a mother sees a car slip off a jack on her child and reaches over and grabs the bumper and lifts the car up and pulls the, car, the, the child out. Yeah. What, what's happened there? Uh, the, the point being that, that she was in the domain of physiological forces. That is, mm-hmm. the, the social environment that she was in had such an impact on her that she was able to impact the biological process. Yeah. So, so through stimulation of adrenaline or what black magic? There's a lot of it, yeah, that may be unquantifiable um, that we're able to right. measure right now. But, but we do know that car that normally she was not able to lift, she did. Right. And, and therefore, so, yep. so, so that that's why I characterize physiological force as being different from either bio, pure biological or pure physical force. Yep. There's a social characteristic to mm-hmm. it. Uh, the classic example to me that I always use is, I think it was the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, uh, a long jumper uh, 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 named Bob Beeman. Uh, at that time, the world record in the long jump was, I want to say, say 25 and a half feet. In the finals of the Olympic Games in Mexico City, Bob Beeman jumped 27 and a half feet. Did he basically almost go out of the pit, if I remember uh, right? He did. It, yeah. it, it, it was two feet. He, he extended the world record by two feet. Yeah. You just don't do that. Exactly. Something happened within his physiological makeup, physiological mm-hmm. characteristics. It was the... It was the excitement of the day. Maybe gravity was a little lower or something that day. I don't know. At that hour, at that at that, at that attempt, yeah. But the point was that that, sure. that the physiological statistically, it was so far an outlier yeah. that you have to scratch your head and say, what factors were at play there? Yeah. And you go back to the basics of what you would expect there to be. But having that uh, physiological, emotional the entirety of his being probably had an impact right absolutely so so we've gone we, we, we've had physical forces we have pure biological forces we have physiological forces and kind of at the the, 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 the catch-all at the top then I would call social forces mm-hmm. essentially our interactions any anytime uh, uh, two individuals interact, you, mm-hmm. you engage social forces now uh, and so they 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 they, they interact uh, uh, in, a, in a social fashion social essentially means it's subject to human cognition mm-hmm. right so so we we can go so so when we talk about things today we talk we often talk about certain things being social constructs Mm-hmm. And we try very hard to take things out of the realm of biological forces and move them into the realm of social forces mm-hmm. and, and say that, that this is now a social construct. Right. A social construct is one that is totally malleable subject to human cognition or human action. Mm-hmm. Right, And, and so it, 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 it's a... It's a, uh, as I say, it's malleable, so things can change. Right. So social forces are uh, difficult to quantize. They're certainly difficult to tie down uh, because they can change. They can change at, at will. And, and, and that's been the case for as long as we can recall. We had a different social construct in the 50s. It's, it's often mocked now. And and there, there's truth in a lot of observations. Right. So the 50s were a very different time socially in the United States. The late 60s, early 70s are another one. The 80s, you know. And, what, so, and so what you're talking about here now uh, is, is extending. So, so 
everything that happens is is due to a force. A, a force is, is is what makes the world go round, if you will. I was just saying that the construct no, don't, that would what, have been. No, yeah. what, what I'm trying to get to is uh-huh. that 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 you're you you kind of leaping ahead is, is is that social forces build into social metaphors, which build into social paradigms. Okay, so 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 we have we we have paradigms that are the consequence of social forces. If you change the social forces, you change the paradigms, and and that's what that is way the way I would characterize it from the fifties to the sixties to the seventies that the social forces changed, and that changed the that changed the paradigms mm-hmm. uh, that that that. that Govern, if you will, or describe uh, how how we function. Right, and so all of this, coming back to our original topic of, of abstract, abstract thought, thought, right, is is simply going back earlier and earlier, trying to establish uh, the, the the ground rules, if you will, for building up to talk about abstract thought itself. Language. Language. Language is, is is kind of the the ultimate social force, mm-hmm. if you will. It's it's the protocol. It's the agreement that we have uh, to communicate between people. Uh, you know, I think I, I don't know if other people function this way, but but, but for me, it, it it was a little bit of a, of a of an interesting realization that we're not mind readers. That you can't share my thoughts I can't share your thoughts directly mm-hmm. the only way we can share them is by manipulation of the physical environment that we exist in I have to manipulate it and if I do so in a fashion that we have come to agree upon then we can communicate now that, that communication goes back to a a a very basic level. Uh, we 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 start to learn it uh, from the time that we're born. Mm-hmm. We 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 establish all interactions are grounded in a what I call a trust infrastructure. Mm-hmm. A trust infrastructure is the basis for our essentially establishing credence in information or sure. sensory input that I we have to receive. build trust that the words you're using with me, the expression you're using with me has a consistent meaning. Right. It, it may not mean the same thing. So I talked to a, a, a guy who learned his English in the UK and he says boot. And I talked to a Texan and he says boot just left to its own devices, we're not talking about the same thing. Right. So, and we, and we pronounce the words a little bit different. Yeah. So, so we, we start to learn these. So, so again, we're talking about essentially building up to complex mm-hmm. or very abstract, high-level philosophical thought, but we have to, we're always grounded in, in, in these basic root metaphors that, that we learn through experience, right? So, right. So, we... we there, there, there's a there's a there's a physiological characteristic uh, where if you if you will if you take a, a, an infant mm-hmm. newborn mm-hmm. and you touch the infant's cheek, the infant will turn in that direction, and I think that's I don't know if that's called the sucking reflex, mm-hmm. but it's it's essentially grounded it's 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 a physiological metaphor that is i don't know if it's learned i i the it's generally presented as as a as a reflex action mm-hmm. so that it's it's literally built into the the wiring of the brain right but it's it's the way the child finds a a, a tip to suck nourishment um, to right, start you yeah gotta, you exactly gotta, 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 gotta find nourishment and 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 you see this among the mammals. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. see the same characteristic in in infant children and uh, human children and, and and puppies and what have you. Uh, but so so we, we start out at a very early age learning uh, 
the 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 responses or uh, uh, metaphors in which a, a given response to a given stimulus is a good or a bad thing, mm-hmm. right? And and we subsequently they start to learn language, right? So so we we learn language as a way of communication. Our our parents or whoever's uh, is uh, is. Uh, Taking care of us, rearing us from sure. infancy, uh, teaches us first basic words, mm-hmm. and and within the within the, the human brain, um, there's there's a period from about uh, eighteen months to about thirty months where the mind goes through this significant expansion, such that it it can can change from understanding simple words mm-hmm. to start uttering and understanding more complex phrases uh it's 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 a very very well identified mm-hmm. uh, developmental characteristic uh it, it happens in all languages as it turns yeah, out yeah you know but that's the, yeah. that's the time where, where where language becomes imprinted within our brain that's where i was going to go was imprinting that that's a phase that's typically um defined as imprinting imprinting yeah and so as as we kind of wrap this up a bit on the abstract thought if we're able to um as human beings in our communication and our kind of the next level of development would be to understand other things in our environment that we may not have been introduced to yet if we have this abstract um pattern if we have a set of these abstractions a set of these metaphors that we've experienced in a consistent way right or wrong we will then look at what we're presented with next that may or may not fit that so my understanding is we're we're then deciding which metaphor does this fit within and am i comfortable with that or not which brings a a different Kind of, you know, what's our response to these metaphors as we learn them, and then as we right. they're imprinted, and then what does that mean? And just to kind of bring a bring a close to this, I'm sure we'll come back to it later. We've been well, talking about this for 15 years. I, 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 but, I would assume yeah. that, that that maybe even the next episode we'll we'll continue on. Sure. And then there, there's one other concept that I'd like to introduce here, which. Mm-hmm. It, and I think fits with exactly what you're saying, and, and maybe even you're going to say, but it's it's the it's the concept of, of, of homeostatic regulation. Uh-huh. Homeos, yeah. Homeostasis is the the characteristic, or or it's, it's it's the metaphor, if you will, that says, I these are the things that I need to do to continue on as a living entity so homeostasis is generally or it can be sometimes used as the definition of whether or not something is alive mm-hmm. or not if it exhibits the characteristic of, of homeostasis uh, I, I expand it just slightly to say that the, the real concept is one of, of homeostatic regulation mm-hmm. that is there are in, in any given situation we're exposed to stimuli and if we respond correctly to those stimuli we live if we respond incorrectly we die and and the the trick to the propagation of the species is that we communicate if if we, we either have enough new individuals to be able to learn the regular homeostatic mm-hmm. regulatory process by trial and error and have enough things entities live through it to propagate the species or we are able to communicate between one generation of the species and the next and and that is the that is the the big boon if you will the big characteristic of humans relative to other species mm-hmm. is we're much better at uh, passing along necessary information from one generation to the next, uh, and that's that right there is a good place to put a bow on it because that point 
you can then branch off into how we choose to continue with that or not. There, there are certain thought there there are certain directions we can head into that would inhibit our ability to continue forward right and so forth and and how those are socially rewarded or or so forth given that that is an ever-changing landscape can actually put that basis of that fundamental basis of fact in jeopardy right so that's probably if, if we're if we're if we're time wise we're we're kind of at the end of it. That yeah, I think might we'll just, be, be a good point to, to start at uh, next yeah. time. Everybody knows we can go forever, as <laughs> as do we. There's like <laughs> well, we're in the process of proving it is what we're doing. Exactly right. So uh, yeah, no, this was good. This is this is exactly kind of where I was looking to go. Um, it's taken us a little while to get there, uh, which is. Always on my head. I, I'm, I'm always willing to. Uh, You're always building the foundation, though, and absolutely. so that's that's why we do what we do. Yep. Thanks, Tim. It was fun. We'll see you again next time. Look forward to it. Bye. Bye. And that's a wrap on episode 33 of the Mike Newman Show, where once again Dr. Tim and I got together and had a good old conversation here at our favorite North Austin eatery. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is a value for value. Uh, model that we operate this uh, podcast in and namely that means everything you can go read at valueforvalue.info that's v-a-l-u-e the number four v-a-l-u-e dot info it's out on the web and I'll put a couple links to some uh, interesting conversation I heard uh, over the last couple of weeks better defining that basically yeah money's nice takes money to operate these things but you can go to my about page at mikenewman.show slash about I think that's the right link that's m-i-k-e-n-e-u-m-a-n-n dot show slash about or find the about button and that tells you why I do this I just enjoy it it's a hobby for me and I enjoy the technical bits of hosting my own feed generally composing my own feed by myself the technical things and i enjoy breakfast with dr tim that's it and i hope to hear from you hope you can send us in some uh feedback ideas uh for future discussions or feedback on the discussions we've had just reference an episode and tell us where to go look where you thought eh, you guys are crazy or yeah i really enjoyed the trip down reach 66 uh, that that one year as well um looking to build a little community get a little value back in the sense of engagement and uh, just email me at mike at mike newman.show and until the next time we meet john 317